Amen. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. And I want to read to your hearing just one verse. One verse this morning that I hope and I pray will be a blessing to you. I hope and pray that it will be helpful to you. I believe, truly believe, that this is timely for many of us in this church. Each Sunday before the pastoral prayer, and I did it this morning, I always ask if anyone has any unspoken prayer requests, and usually without fail, every hand in the room goes up. Now, they could be requests for burdens that someone else is carrying, and you're praying for them, but I would hearken to guess that they are mostly burdens in your own heart. And there are things that are going on in your own life, and you continuously bring that request to the Lord, and what you need most desperately is peace. So look with me at John chapter 14, and I only want to read verse 27. Now, everything in this book is inspired and fallible and inerrant because it is the Word of God. But these words, the ones that are in red, our usually ears usually perk up a little more because these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 27, Christ says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let us pray. I'm most gracious, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your precious holy word. Father, we do pray that in the time that we have remaining, that we would, brought, we would be brought into your presence. By the Holy Spirit of the living God, would you invoke our hearts and our minds, that we'd be, we would be attentive, that we would be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Father, we pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. That you would draw us all to a closer walk with you. And yes, dear God, if there be one here that does not know you as Savior and Lord, may today be the day that salvation comes to their house. For all these things we ask and pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. There is a story that has been told about a contest where artists were given the assignment to submit paintings portraying what they understood as peace. They were, to, they were to paint a picture portraying their understanding of peace. Some painted beautiful sunsets. Some painted beautiful ponds or a quiet, still brook that was barely flowing. Others painted a a field with wildflowers. But the winner of the contest submitted a picture of a violent, thundering waterfall that was pouring over a cliff and cascading down and crashing into the rocks with extreme force and causing extreme mist to arise. The collision of the water on the rocks was nothing less than striking and violent, and then protruding from the side of the rocks was a tree that was growing. And on one of the branches that was extended out, of, out into this scene 
was a bird's nest with a bird inside of it that was fast asleep. That's a good depiction of peace. Peace appears twice in this brief verse that we just read. It's a popular word, it's a, but it's an almost impossible reality. It is a constant pursuit, and people do pursue it with all earnest, but the world as a whole has been unable to find it. Turmoil is in us. Turmoil is near us. Turmoil is around us. It is beyond us. It is dominating this fallen world. There is an absence of personal peace, family peace, local peace, national peace, and international peace. This is a very, very, very troubled world. And there are always people trying to find peace. Peace in the city, peace in the communities, peace in the family, peace in relationships, peace in the world. People want that. They want peace in their lives. They want some tranquility in their lives inside of them and in the most intimate relationships that they possess in families and communities and on and on. They want to be free from trouble, to be free from stress, to be free from threats, fear, anxiety, depression, and despair. They want to be free from conflict. Everybody seeks that. People have been seeking that since the fall. And peace has been very elusive. And there is a reason for this. There is a reason why peace is so elusive. Because among those who do not know God, there is no peace. There is no peace for those that do not know Christ. You know, the, the familiar with, with the, the, the play on words, know Christ no peace. Well, if you K-N-O-W Christ, then you will K-N-O-W peace. If you know Jesus Christ, you will know peace. If you do not know, if you N-O Christ, then you will have N-O peace. Can an individual have peace in this world? The Bible says yes. How? How do we have real lasting peace in this fallen, sin-cursed, and very, very, very troubled world. Well, the Lord Jesus tells us how in John 14, 27. Let's pick it apart. Let's pick it apart. Point number one, I want to point out to you the legacy of peace. Listen to what Jesus says again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace defined in the Bible is a lot different than the way the world defines it. We'll talk about the way the world defines it in a few moments. But in the Bible, if you study it, you study the original languages, you'll find two words that mean peace. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shalom. The Lord is, one of his redemptive names is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. 250 times in the Old Testament, you find that word shalom. It's a very large and all-encompassing word. At its essence, it means it's a wish for completeness or a wish for contentment or a wish for fulfillment, satisfaction, blessing, or well-being or wish for prosperity on all levels. In other words, it's a desire that all that is good would flow into your life. And that's what the Jewish people mean when they say it. 
When they say shalom, they don't just mean, hey, I hope you stop arguing with your spouse. They don't mean, hey, I hope that the boss man gets off your back. Hey, I hope that you have peace with your neighbor. They mean, I wish for you all that is good, all that is blessed, all that brings satisfaction, fulfillment, completeness, and contentment would flow into your life. The New Testament counterpart is the word iron, E-I-R-N. It's where we get the feminine name Irene. It means the same thing. It's a word that's literally transcribed as the, a tranquil state of the soul, a soul at rest, a satisfied soul. That is what the Lord Jesus means when he says, come unto him all that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give this rest. He will give this iron. He will give this, this rest for the soul. And this is the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ leaves as a legacy for his disciples. Jesus does not leave in his last will and testament for his church gold, silver, and other earthly treasures. The Lord promises an inheritance that is far more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Wes pointed that out this morning in Sunday school. He talked about how he's always wanted, earthly speaking, a Toyota uh, Tundra. I've talked to you about that house that sits on the corner of Stony Mill and Mangrum's Road. I coveted that thing. But Christ did not leave those things behind for us. They're materialistic things. They're not bad in of themselves in having them. But what the most precious thing that Christ gives to his church, other than the salvation of their very soul, what comes from that is peace, is peace. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to go away. That's with the context of John 14. John, remember, John 13, 14, and 15, and 16, they're in the upper room, right? They're in their upper room. They're observing the Passover. Jesus has, has washed their very feet, even the feet of Judas. They've ate. Judas has slipped out into the night, and now Jesus is telling them, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to be delivered into the hands of sinners and I am going to die. And the disciples didn't understand it. They didn't spend every, almost every waking hour with this man for the last three, three and a half years. They watched him perform miracle after miracle after miracle. They heard him in person preach the Sermon on the Mount. They were there. They were in the inner sanctum with him. They would hear the parables taught and then they, he would take them and tell them the meaning. They watched him and how he handled people. They watched as, as, as how he was healed multitudes, even, even not on purpose, how the woman with the issue of blood, she had that issue of blood for so many years and she comes up to him if I can just touch him and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And now here he is saying, I'm going to die. They didn't understand it. They did not understand it. They didn't understand how someone who could raise people from the dead could die. And they're heartbroken. And they feel as if the Lord were abandoning them. They were troubled. And Jesus tells them, I am leaving a legacy for you of peace that is not of this world. And notice what he says. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. 
I leave it with you. My peace, I give it to you. They didn't have to do anything to earn it. They didn't have to do anything to deserve it. They don't have to do anything to merit this peace. This is a grace gift that is given unconditionally by our Lord to his disciples. The gift of peace is a complete and total work of grace. That's why very often in the New Testament, you see grace and peace listed together. Because the gift of peace is a grace gift. The Apostle Paul especially, in just just about every letter that he wrote, all of his epistles, usually starts out the same way. He greets them and then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a companion of grace. Peace is a gift of unmerited favor. It is a gift of God by the bloodshed sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And there's many types of peace in the Bible. Peace with God, peace of God, peace from God, and peace on earth. But you cannot have the peace of God or peace from God unless a person first has peace with God. It is just not possible. And so often I talk about this because we're hemmed in on every side. We are hemmed in on every side. Romans, Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, as through one man, sin entered the world. We're already, we're already hemmed in from the beginning because of the sin of our initial father, Adam. We inherited sin. And then Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. We put our personal stamp of approval on it, so we're hemmed in. We're hemmed in by our heritage, and we're hemmed in by our personal sin. And it is only through trusting in the incarnation, the sinless life, atoning death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, only trusting in Him can a person receive peace with God. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first aspect of peace that our Lord Jesus offers is peace with God. And from that initial peace overflows to every area of our life. And just a few chapters later, in John chapter 20, <clears throat> Jesus appeared to his disciples for the first time after his resurrection. He appears to them in John 20. Let me read to you. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, so while it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this resurrection Sunday, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is Easter morning. This is the, the, first, the first day of the week, the day that Christ was raised from the dead. It says, and while the doors were shut and the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst to them and said, peace be with you. The disciples are hiding in that upper room. The doors are shut. They're fearful of the Jews. They're fearful of the Romans. They're thinking, are we going to be next? Are they coming for us? And they're huddled in fear. And Jesus appears in their midst. He comes through the walls, through the doors. And the first word that he offers to them, he, the first words that come out of his mouth to meet the need for the hour is not a reprimand. He doesn't show up to chew them out and tell them they have no faith. He doesn't show up to give them down in the country. He lovingly knows the deep need of their soul and says, peace 
be with you. Look at it, continue what it says. It says, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Jesus could have told them any number of theological truths. He could have sat them down and said, okay, these are the very next steps to the ministry. This is the next phase that we're going into. But instead, he deals with their most urgent need. And that was peace for their troubled soul. And who was there? Who was there on that first Sunday? Who was there on that first resurrection morning? Who was there in that upper room on that first Lord's Day? Okay, we're down to 11 disciples because Judas is now gone. He's hung himself, so it's only 11. Thomas wasn't there, so we're down to 10. Thomas missed that initial encounter. Thomas missed out on that great encounter. And if you want to do like I did, you write out in the side, in the margin there, when we forsake the assembling together, when we forsake the assembling together on the Lord's day, you and I miss out. And Thomas missed out on that first week. He had to go through a week of having been his nerves all tore up, living in fear. The rest of the disciples didn't. But Jesus comes in verse 24 because Thomas says, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you've seen him. I don't believe that he's risen from the dead. I'm not going to do it till I can take my finger and put it through where the nail went. I can take my hand and put it where the side went. So again, they're there again. They're there in that upper room. The doors are shut and the windows are shut. And Jesus appears in the midst of them. And what does he say to this doubting Thomas? He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you with you. So this dominant legacy that the Lord is imparting to his disciples before he returns to his father is that of peace. And this is precisely what Jesus speaks to all of our hearts today. What he spoke to his disciples long ago, he continues to speak to us today through his word. And though we have many fears Though we have many burdens, many troubles, and many things that cause us to be discouraged, it is our Lord who is extending to us peace for our troubled souls. And it is just as real today as it was when he first extended it 2,000 years ago. Point number two, the recipients of peace. We see the the legacy. Now we see the recipients. Look what it says. It says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The offer is given to you. Make note of the word you. The peace is being offered to all of his disciples, not just a few, but initially all of the disciples. What ought to encourage us about this is that it is the disciples that need that shalom, that need that iron, that need that legacy gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are the best of the best at that time, and they need peace. These are the men that have left all. They've left their livelihoods. They've left their families. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. These are the ones that are sold out. They've left their fishing boats. They've left their tax collecting booths. They've left houses. They've left homes. They've left farms. These are the most committed than anyone else on the earth. These are the ones that have already been sent out two by two to preach the gospel. These are the ones that have already performed uh, uh, miracles. 
These are the ones that have traveled with Jesus, listened to Jesus, watched Jesus heal, watched Jesus raise the dead. These are the men that have been on the front lines with Jesus, and they need peace. This peace is not being offered to those that are the weakest, those that are who are the most uncommitted. This peace is offered to the disciples, the apostles, and they need peace. So what's the encouragement in this? What's the encouragement here? It's an encouragement. It's an argument that goes from the greatest to the least. It goes from the greatest to the least. If they need peace, if the ones who touched and hugged and actually saw and heard the Son of God in the flesh, if they need peace, then you and I are going to need peace too then you and I will need peace as well. And if they needed peace, then you and I ain't got to beat ourselves up because we need peace. And the Lord offers this peace from the top to the bottom. It's, just, it's like, you know, look, I, I don't have to be the best Christian in town in order to know God's peace. I just need to be a true disciple of Jesus with all of my fears and all of my limitations. And if there is peace being offered to the disciples, then surely there's peace for people like me. And this also shows that no one, no one outgrows their need for peace. Some may rest in it better than others. But every Christian, from the one that just trusted Christ for the salvation of their soul to the one who has walked faithfully with the Lord for many years, all believers need peace. All believers, all true followers of Jesus Christ need peace to be the people that God has called us to be and to do the things that God has called us to do. We all need peace as we live in this troubled world. Folks, these are the men that wrote the New Testament. These are the men that God used to turn the world upside down. These are the men that God used to carry the gospel around the world, and they needed peace. How much more do we need peace? And how much more will we find peace in our Lord? Some of you may be asking yourselves, Lord, Lord, I love you. And I do all that I know to do to serve you and, and, and live for you. And I need peace. I need this peace. Look at the text. Look at what it says. You and I are in very good company with the disciples of the Lord Jesus. They were fearful, troubled, and therefore we need to be confident to come to the Lord and say, Lord, we need peace too. We need peace too. Point number three. The quality, the quality of peace. Look, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Notice that phrase, my peace, I give to you. The peace that the Lord Jesus Christ offers to those that trust in him is a peace that reconciles that person with God, that takes a person from being an enemy of God to being a son of God, but also the peace that Jesus leaves is the very peace that he himself enjoyed while he was here upon the earth. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Listen to what he says. My peace 
I give to you. He's not saying I want to give you some peace that's kind of like what I had, a peace that is very close to what I had while I was on the earth. No, Jesus is saying my very peace that has filled and flooded my own heart is the peace that I offer to you. This peace is perfect peace. It is pure peace. It is unmixed peace, uncontaminated peace, uncontaminated with worry or anxiety. This is the strongest peace that anyone could experience in their own heart and soul. And you think about this. You think about all that Christ faced while he was on the earth. He was constantly confronted and harassed by the religious people of the day. They had a conspiracy out to kill him. They were trying to kill him his entire ministry. Satan was was nipping at his heels. There were difficulties at every turn. He had one of his very own disciples betray him. Yet despite all of this, Christ had peace in his heart. We never see a time where our Lord was shackled in anxiety. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized in prayer. But when that prayer was over, Jesus had peace. Jesus had peace before the Sanhedrin. When he was taken, when he was arrested in that garden, he even had peace before the one who betrayed him. He even had peace when the one who betrayed him came and betrayed him with that kiss. He had peace then. He had peace when the guards arrested him. And he had peace before the Sanhedrin when they were accusing him of blasphemy. Jesus had peace. Jesus had peace before Pilate. Then peace when he went to Herod. And then peace back again before Pilate. And then he had peace when he's standing before this angry mob that's crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. Crucify him. Jesus had peace. He knew the cross was coming. And Jesus had peace. And now Jesus says, that peace, My peace, I leave for you. My peace, I give to you. This peace has been tested. This peace has been tried. This peace has stood the test of time because it was forged in eternity. That is the perfect depiction of peace. And that is the peace that our Lord offers as his legacy to the church. It's like you think about the illustration I gave about the bird asleep with the waterfall. Christ did the same thing, remember, right? He's asleep in the belly of the boat, asleep in the belly of the ship during that storm. The disciples were fearful. They were afraid. Christ would have slept right through it had they not woke him up and told him and got him to rebuke the storm. He was asleep in the hull of that boat because he was at peace, because of his very own supernatural peace. And that is peace that is not of this world. It is a peace, as Paul tell, Paul describes it, that passes all understanding. So no matter how great the trial, no matter how dark the hour, no matter how difficult the trouble, no matter how deep the ocean or how high the mountain, no matter what you are up against, no matter with what kind of adversity you are faced with, The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is given to us is so supernatural. It is so out of this world because it is his very own peace. Point number four, the counterfeit, the counterfeit peace. Look what he says. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, <clears throat> not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. The peace that Jesus offers is nothing like the peace the world offers. And before us right now is two offers of peace. We've been talking about door number one, the peace that's behind door number one. That's the peace of Christ, the peace that passes all understanding, the legacy, the quality. Door number one is the peace that Jesus leaves as his legacy to his disciples. Behind door number two is the other peace, the peace here, the peace that the world's give, the peace that the world gives. It's a counterfeit peace. It's a false peace. It's not really peace at all. The peace that the, the world offers, to put it into a word, is would be happiness. Happiness is based on our happenings. Happiness can change from one moment to the next. Happiness is based on circumstances, on whether they occur or they don't occur, based on how we think they should. It's earthly, it's shallow, it never gets down to the depth of the soul. It's always on the surface level, and it is very easily troubled the peace that the world offers it's temporal it don't last it does not last at all it's the drug addict that constantly chases that first high throughout the rest of his life until he's uh, unless he's uh, redeemed out of it delivered from it it's temporary it's fleeting it passes it can never ever satisfy it's also shallow the peace that the world offers has no depth no roots it just lays on the surface of our emotions, but can never reach down to the depths of our soul. And the peace that the world gives is conditional. It's conditional. Happiness comes from uh, uh, things that happen in the world. It's always dependent upon something outside of yourself. Stock market, relationship status. Bill coming in the mail, price of gas, price of food at the grocery store, sports game. It can never rise above things that are going on in a person's life. That's the temporary, conditional peace of the world. And the peace of the world, the happiness that the world gives, is also anti-intellectual. It's anti-intellectual because you think about this. So often the peace that the world gives is called amusement it's called amusement entertainment right the word muse means to think a museum is a place where you go to think and you put that a on the front of it that's a negative amusement is what you do so you don't think right you turn on that tv so that you can take your mind off of what's going on you you go to that ball game so you can take your mind off of what's going on in everyday life that's amusement is what you do so you don't think that's why things in the world have to be so amped up music has to be loud so that you do not think but when the song is over or the show is over or that movie's over or that concert's over or that ball game's over so is the peace that comes with it the happiness that the world offers doesn't want us to think. It wants us to take our mind out of it. But the peace that Jesus offers is contrary to all of that. It's not temporary. It's eternal. It's not shallow, but it's deep, and it reaches down to the very bottom of your soul. It is not conditional on the circumstances that are around us, on the things that happen to us. The peace that Jesus offers is not anti-intellectual. It's rooted and it's grounded in the mind of Christ and in the Word of God. That's why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. 
2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 10 where it talks about the spiritual warfare. I quoted it to you last week about taking every thought captive and bringing it into obedience to Christ. Our minds are to be engaged in Him and focused upon Him. And when they're focused upon Him, everything else melts away because we know He will take care of the rest. We need our minds stimulated by the truths of God and the truths that are contained in His Word. So the choice that is set before us is the peace of Christ or the false peace of the world. Or as I've said a few times, our choice is this, Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. And point number five, the experience of peace. The experience of peace. Look what he says. It says, peace I leave with you My peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I hope you're saying to yourselves, Lord, I want this peace. I don't want to just read about this peace. I want to experience this peace. I want the dynamic of this real peace to fill my heart, to fill my soul, to manifest in my life. And Jesus now tells his disciples that they bear a responsibility if they are to enjoy this peace. It's not automatic. Look what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. The disciples must respond to his offer of peace. They must not let fear rule in their hearts. If they do, it's not the fault of Jesus. Jesus tells all of his disciples this, that this shows that it does not matter your personality type. You could be the happy-go-lucky, the one who sees the, 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 the glass is always half full. Or you could be like Peter who's forever sticking his foot into his mouth. Or like a son of thunder that's wanting to call down fire from heaven because the people didn't respond like he thought they should. It does not matter if the glass is half empty or half full. If a person has an Eeyore complex where it's just down in the dumps all the time, nothing ever good's going to happen. That does not matter. Each of us are responsible to not let fear and anxiety and all of that infiltrate our hearts and rule and reign over us. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. We've got to be careful what we let into our heart and into our mind. If you sit around and you watch the news all the time, you're going to be depressed. You are going to be depressed. It is going to happen because out there is a fallen, wicked world that needs Jesus and does not want him. That's why it's so important to come in here and recharge your spiritual batteries. We are to guard our hearts. And Jesus tells us that the responsibility for our hearts being troubled falls on us we have to guard our hearts we have to protect our peace and when that peace when our peace is troubled when our peace is threatened we look to Christ we look to Jesus and we listen look at what Jesus said in the first verse of chapter 14 chapter 14 verse 1 he said at the end of verse 27 let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. 
We see the responsibility for this falls on the disciples and then it falls on us as well. This is what we need. This is our action step. This is the application right here in John chapter 14, verse 1. This is what we need to do. This is how we have peace with God, peace from God, peace that passes all understanding. This is what God requires of us. Look what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe also in Christ. Folks, to worry is unbelief. To be filled with anxiety is a spirit of unbelief. Folks, there must always be faith in God and faith in our Lord Jesus. We have to make the conscious decision to trust Christ above all else. And when we put our faith in God on a daily basis, we keep our heart from being troubled. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. We spend so much time wondering, worrying about what if, what if, what if later on, what if this happens? Worry about today. There's enough trouble in 24 hours to to concern ourselves with. And all we can do, all God wants us to do is trust in Him now. Right now. And if He allows us to breathe and see tomorrow, then tomorrow becomes now. And we trust God now. That's what we're to do. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. This is the issue that is before us in order to resist anxiety, to resist worry. It is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. You have to just determine your mind. I'm going to trust in him no matter what. As Job said, even if the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. We must make the conscious decision to trust Christ regardless of the circumstances. We have to trust that God has a plan for our life. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're insulated from turmoil. Doesn't mean we're insulated and isolated from troubles of the world. The Christian life will be a path that often makes great demands on our life. The Christian path is a life of uphill and often physically we'll have to walk it alone although we're never alone because Christ is always with us the Holy Spirit dwells inside each and every believer but physically we may have to walk it many times alone and there will be many dangers that await us but through it all we put our faith in the word of God and in the promises of God we need to believe this We need to believe this. We need to not live like a practical atheist where we say that there there is a God, but then we live like there isn't one. The atheist says that there is no God, but then they'll live like there is one because as soon as they hit, hit some trouble, they're crying out to God to save them. We don't need to live like the practical atheist where we say, yeah, we believe in God, but then when the trouble hits, we don't trust Him. We need to trust Him. We need to choose 
every day that we're going to put our trust and our faith and our hope in him. And it's like I said last week, when we do, when we fix our eyes on him, and like I did back at the first sermon of the year, when we fix our eyes on Christ, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, and he's the prize that's awaiting us when we get to heaven, he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. We must follow God, trust in him, believe in God, and believe also in Jesus. Let me leave you with this illustration. I've used him before in a message, but Horatio G. Spafford. You probably don't recognize the name, but I know you'll recognize the hymn. He had. He was a wealthy businessman in Chicago. The year escapes me because it was during around the time of the great fire of Chicago where Chicago was burned. He lost a business. He and his wife and four daughters were going to go to Wales on a vacation. I believe they were going to go catch up with D.L. Moody, who was preaching over there. They were going over to Wales on a holiday. Spafford's wife and four daughters go ahead of him on a boat. They have an accident at sea. The ship sinks. The four daughters drowned. The wife is left floating. She's discovered by a ship that comes by later. After 10 days, she makes it to Wales. She sends a message by telegram back to Horatio G. Spafford. Just two words. Saved alone. How'd you like to get that message? How could you, how, how could you, how would you endure information like that? You know, that your family has just been taken from you. Well, Spafford finishes up his business and he charters a ship to go retrieve his wife in Wales. And he's told when he passes over the exact point where the accident happened and where his daughters drowned, he goes into his cabin there on that ship and he pens these words that you find in your hymnal. I can't remember where it is. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Folks, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's not the removal of trial and disappointment. It's contentment and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of all of life's circumstances. This is the peace that our Lord offers to us. This is the peace that He leaves behind for us. It's His very own peace. You and I need it. Do you have it? How is it with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the great peace, the legacy, the quality of peace. It's not this temporary, easily shaken, easily lost, false peace that the world tries to get us to buy into. But it is the true, lasting shalom 
in knowing that Christ has purchased our salvation and that he is with us and will lead us and guide us to endure all things and equip us to glorify him in all things until he brings us home. Help us, Lord, to trust in that. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes upon you and to have your peace, to not just know about it, but to experience it, that peace that passes all understanding. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.